As we join Pastor Phil in Revelation 9, we'll discover that some of the activity we see in the end is cryptically reminiscent of a time long ago. Let's listen. But it's interesting what Peter says. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, if we looked at all of human history as a war being fought in the spirit realm between the forces of God and the forces of the devil, to first of all keep Messiah from coming so that he couldn't redeem the world and destroy the devil, and now... After Jesus Christ has come, lived, died, arisen, and ascended back to his Father, now the devil, of course, wants to just take as many people down with him as possible. It's all about spiritual warfare. I wish more people, more Christians would understand that as Paul said, we are in a war. I mean, we are in a real, live war that we don't even realize many times because it's invisible. And yet it's very real. But in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 18, Peter said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, or through the waters of judgment." in the ark. Some people read that and go, well, what happened was when Jesus died on the cross, he went into Hades and he preached the gospel to the people down there and gave them a second chance. You know, I love to believe that people after they died got another chance. The Bible doesn't teach that. It's appointed for man to die once and after that comes what? The judgment. Besides that, the word for preach there is not the word euangelizomai, the word we get the word you uh, evangelize from or, uh, or the gospel, it's keruso, which means to proclaim something. And spirits is not the souls of people that have died, it's fallen angels that were bound in Tartarus. And what Jesus did was, after he died on the cross, he went into, hell, into Hades, into this lowest part, this place called Tartarus, and he proclaimed to these spirits his victory. And then before he ascended back to his father, he, the one who has the keys of death and Hades, he unlocked the door of the prisoners, those Old Testament saints who loved the Lord, who looked forward to his coming, unlocked the prison doors and led the captives free. But he proclaimed his victory to the spirits who once tried to thwart the plan of God in the days of Noah, when all flesh had corrupted itself upon the face of the earth. So this... Abuso. I mean, this is a frightening thing to think about. We learn in um, Revelation seven, uh, excuse me, eleven verse seven and chapter seventeen verse eight that the uh, Antichrist, the beast, ascends out of this pit, this abuso. Now, 
what I think is ascending out of the Abuso is the spirit that's going to be controlling him on the earth. I think the Antichrist is going to be a man. I think it's like Judas was a man. But as Judas gave himself over to evil intentions and all, and at one point the devil himself entered into Judas, I think there's going to be a very wicked demon behind the Antichrist when he ascends to power who is going to work in the hearts of people to receive this guy because they're going to look at him like he's a messiah. The world is going to look at the Antichrist when he first makes his appearance on the world scene like he's a savior. He's going to be brilliant. He's going to be articulate. He's going to have answers. People are going to be drawn to him, as we have already said. And there's going to be a demon power behind this guy that's going to cause the whole world to get in line behind him. At one point, the devil himself enters into this guy, as we'll see that uh, as we continue in the study as well. So it says in verse 1, though, that um, to this star, the devil, who fall, had fallen, a key to the bottomless pit was given to him. Don't, aren't you glad that the devil doesn't have, that, doesn't have ownership of those keys? Like he, he can use them whenever he wants. The Lord has the keys of death and Hades. The Lord is the one who controls these things, and now the Lord gives to the devil the keys to the bottomless pit. And it says in verse 2, And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So wherever this thing is on the surface of the earth, and it's probably hidden. It probably looks like just, you know, maybe it's probably out somewhere where it's just nobody lives, you know, and it looks like a, just rocks and things, and all of a sudden, you know, this thing opens up, you know, and, and out of this shaft leading down to this abuso comes this, polluting smoke like the smoke of a fire, a furnace and it just covers the earth like a shroud to the point where it even blocks out the light of the sun well, that's fitting, isn't it? because as Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and so the Lord gives them darkness but that's not all in verse 3 it says then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. These are not natural locusts, as you might have already figured out. They are a a supernatural, demonic kind of locust. You say, well, how do you know that? Because these locusts have a king over them. In verse 11, we read, And they had, a, they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. This group of locusts has a king. We read in Proverbs 30, verse 27, Natural locusts have no king. Now, when the writer to the Proverbs mentions that, he's just making a point. How that locusts don't have a king over them, but they act like an army, don't they? They, they move together, they work together, they devour you know, areas of, of, of grass and so on together, yet they have no leader. Yet we, le- we read in Revelation 9, these locusts, whatever they are, have a king. 
Let me just tell you this. You know the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible? Whenever possible, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Get yourself a treasury of, a treasury of Scripture knowledge. Uh, and, you know, it just you open it up to various passages, and it will just link uh, words in the passage other places in the Bible, helping you to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Great resource. If you don't have one, pick one up. Can you imagine, though, what will happen on the earth when the worst demons that have been chained in this bottomless pit are released? Remember what Jude tells us? They have been chained in, you know, with chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day. I, I think that this could possibly be in view here. This is God's judgment upon the earth. And I can't even imagine what it would be like when these worst of the demons are released from this bottomless pit. I mean, think about it. If if all of a sudden every maximum security prison in our nation was suddenly opened and all the inmates were immediately released, the worst criminals in our society were suddenly released by the thousands into society, that wouldn't even come close to what we're talking about here, if you can imagine that. Now, the question has arisen, how could there be green grass that they're commanded not to hurt when in chapter 8, verse 7, all the green grass was burned up? Well, because grass grows back rather quickly after a fire. And obviously some time has elapsed between chapter 8, verse 7 and chapter 9, verse 4. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was watching one of those nature programs, and it was on this particular one was on grasses and how vital grasses are to the ecosystems around the world. And they were showing how that after a forest fire came through an area, after just a few weeks, the grasses were already starting to grow again. Grasses grow back quickly. So don't let that stumble you, because, you know, some of those critics will say, well, look, you know, chapter 8, all the green grass was burned up, and now here's, there's green grass again. Well, obviously some time has elapsed. Things have kind of, in some ways, have gotten back to normal in some respects. I think that has caused some people to think maybe the worst is over. You know, they keep thinking that, because God gives them a breather. He gives them some time to think it over, to make some changes before the next wave of judgment comes. Now, these locusts are commanded not to hurt any who have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, of course, that's a reference that takes us back to chapter 7, when God sealed 144,000 Jewish believers with the mark of God in their foreheads so that they would be protected from the judgment of God that was coming. Now, there may have been others, by the way, that were uh, sealed at that time as well. We don't know that for sure. We know 144,000 Jewish believers were definitely sealed. We don't know if any others were sealed at that time. In fact, it could very well be that as anybody gets saved during this period of time, that immediately they are sealed in their foreheads from any future judgment of God upon the wicked, because they're not the wicked anymore. They're children of God now. So as people receive Christ during this time... It could very well be that, the, that God seals them supernaturally on their foreheads to protect them from any future judgment. We do know that these locusts are not allowed to hurt any people with the seal of God in their foreheads. They are protected from God's wrath. It says in verse 5, And they were not given authority to kill them. They were not given authority to kill unbelievers. But to torment them for five months... Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man, 
In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Now I got to tell you, verse 6 has to be one of the most bizarre verses in all the Bible. For five months, God will not allow death. People will want to die. But as somebody has said, death is going to take a holiday. So when these serpents or these scorpions, I should say, strike people, the pain is going to be so intense that many are going to try to commit suicide. I've often tried to imagine what that would be like if a person takes a gun, sticks it to their head, pulls the trigger and blows half their head off but doesn't die. Or jumps off a very tall building, hits the ground, breaks every bone in their body, but it lays there and they're still alive. God will not allow them to die. Even though they will try to die, God will not allow it. Now look, listen to me. I don't believe this is a cruelty on the part of God. I actually believe it's a form of mercy. You say, how so? What would you rather endure? Some of the pain of hell on earth for five months or being cast into the real hell with all of its pain and torment for all eternity. Think about that. What would you rather endure? Five months of the pain of hell on the earth or to be cast into hell forever to endure all the pain and torment that people will experience down there. You know, often we hear people make the claim, and I've heard it, maybe you have, Hell isn't a real place, you know. Hell is right here, man. This is hell. Well, I'm not saying that sometimes life on earth can't seem like a hell. But the Bible assures us that hell is a real place. And God is saying to us right here, for five months, hell is going to come to earth. It is going to visit the people of this earth. And it's interesting that in hell... People will be tormented so so much that they will desire to die. They'll desire to commit suicide, to die, to be released from the torment. But you know what? They can't because they're already dead. And so God brings a little piece of that to the earth. And for five months, God will not let people commit suicide to escape the torment of a hell-like condition on the earth because he's trying to get them to stop and repent of their sins so that they don't have to be cast into the real hell with all of its pain and torment for eternity. That's why I say it's merciful. Sometimes God, in His mercy, will put us through a very difficult, and this is a a horrific thing, no doubt. But even today, God will allow pain and adversity and heartache to come into a person's life if it's going to bring them to Christ where they are are spared the torment of hell forever. He'll do that in His mercy. In Isaiah 26, verse 9, we read, For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will, will learn righteousness. And I believe what the prophet is saying is that, Lord, when you bring judgment to the earth, You have to judge sin and wickedness. But even in judgment, you're trying to show mercy. You're trying to use it to cause people to stop and to repent that they might receive Christ and not have to endure eternal judgment in hell. Now, it doesn't say so specifically, but we infer that after five months, they have to return back to the abuso. 
it's interesting that a normal lifespan of a locust is about five months, from May to September. And that's the length that this judgment is going to be on the earth. Uh, it's also the length of time that the waters of Noah's flood were upon the face of the earth. Genesis chapter 7, verse 24 tells us the waters of the flood were on the earth for five months. Now, during this time, people, no doubt, are going to be praying, as people often do in a crisis, right? Uh, I'm convinced people are going to be crying out to God constantly. But they're going to be praying, God, make it stop. God, stop this. Stop the pain. Stop the judgment. They're not going to be crying out, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. Forgive me, God. We know that because verse 20 tells us, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. So even though God is giving people a chance to repent and get saved, man's heart is so hard and so given over to evil that they refuse. Even in the face of this kind of a judgment, you would think that these creatures would scare literally the hell out of you to the point where you got on your knees and you confessed your sin and you got right with God. After tasting hell for five months, apparently didn't affect them. Kind of hard to believe. Well, verse 7. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots and with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Now, putting verses 7 through 10 together, many commentators try to interpret this as some kind of military weaponry that John's trying to describe. I personally don't think so. I personally think it's a demon army. I think that just the simplest interpretation is the right one. I mean, they come out of the bottomless pit. It's obvious that they're not normal locusts. These are demon locusts. These are a demonic army. And um, it's kind of interesting, though, that if you look at real locusts closely, they resemble horses wearing breastplates of armor. In fact, the word locust in German is a word that means hay horse. And in Italian, it's a word that means little horse. Are these literal locusts? No, again, I don't believe so, because look at all of the repetition of like. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. We're like something like crowns. All the way through, John is telling us, no, they're not literal locusts. And he's describing in terms that we can understand, but I think what he's just trying to say is it's a demonic army and it has some similarities to what he's describing, like this, like that, but it's something, John says, I've never seen before. It's something out of the pit of hell, basically. Turn to Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, verse 1, we read, Blow the trumpet in Zion. 
and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Now, of course, Joel is going to be prophesying of the very time we're studying. All right? And he's going to be talking about the very locusts we're reading about. Verse 2. This day, the day of the Lord, is a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over the mountaintops they leap. Like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column, though they lunge between the weapons. They are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Wow, kind of gives you shivers. These creatures are just everywhere. They're climbing up the walls. They're climbing into the houses. I mean, you can't hide from, not you folks, of course, but the wicked at this time can't hide from these things. Of course, historically, the prophecy in Joel 2 was fulfilled in Joel's day when God uh, sent swarms of locusts, real locusts, upon the nation for its uh, ungodliness and rebellion. But prophetically, it looked forward to this demon army, these demon locusts that we read about in Revelation 9 that come out of the Abuso. It's um, comforting that even in these dire warnings of this terrible, terrible invasion, um, God gives a wonderful promise in Joel chapter 2, verses 25 and 6, where he said to Israel, So I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you, You shall eat in plenty plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dwelt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. So God says back in Israel's day, even though he was going to send the locusts to destroy uh, everything, basically, that was green, all their crops and all, because of their wickedness, he was going to eventually forgive them and restore their land. Of course, prophetically, it's talking about the time that's coming upon the earth when not only these locusts, uh, but all of God's judgments are going to devastate the earth. But when we enter the millennial kingdom, he's going to restore it all. And we're going to live in a place that's going to be very much like a paradise. And so that he'll kind of undo all that the locusts have damaged. 
and restore everything to the way it was before the fall. Well, back to Revelation verse uh, chapter 9. In verse 11, we read, And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. And they technically mean the same thing. Uh, the Hebrew means destruction. The Greek means the destroyer. Now, some people identify this angel of the bottomless pit as the devil. Uh, I don't really see it that way because the devil is not really in the bottomless pit right now. Remember, when this demon army gets released, they have a king over them that comes up with them. The devil is not in the bottomless pit yet. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, uh, when Jesus comes back, he's going to cast the devil and his demons into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And so at that time, the devil will be associated with this abuso. Right now, though, as I've already said, he's got freedom to roam the earth. He even has access to heaven. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said,